Very good. We're going to go ahead and uh, get started. This is lesson six, but we'll be covering chapters, I don't remember, six and seven, seven and eight? I better look. Looks like seven and eight tonight. Woo! Two chapters. Uh, they go together very nicely. They're about gardening and all the marital problems that gardening causes. How many of you had marital problems as a result of gardening? Let's see hands all over the room. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, yeah, you don't have to testify. You've probably had some, something related to gardening along the way. But at any rate, uh, really it's just the metaphor of gardening that he uses in uh, tonight's material. Chapter 7 is called Pulling Weeds. And chapter 8 is called Planting Seeds. And so the metaphor is that there are things in our marriages that we want to pull and get rid of and toss them out. And then there are things we want to plant in their place. And it's a great illustration. It's a, it's a great visual. And one of the other corollary truths that he shares with that is that, you know, with, with a garden, we understand that it takes work. Actually, I am curious how many of you uh, have a garden, obviously not right now, it's probably mostly gone by now, but during the summer, spring, summer, how many of you keep a garden regularly? Most of you, okay. That's great, you don't have to, so don't feel bad if you didn't, you know, don't have a garden or whatever, but um, here, here's just an easy uh, discussion question to begin with. Uh, yes or no, does, a, does keeping a good garden require any work? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, nice and obvious question there, nodding heads all over the room. Uh, I have been a failure of a gardener many times, actually, uh, because the idea of a garden is really exciting to me, right? Growing your own produce and all of this, and so I often have a lot of energy right at the beginning, you know, till up the ground, plant the seeds, like, ah, oh, this is going to be so great, you know, and then a week goes by, and then two weeks go by, and you're kind of watching for the things popping up. And before long, weeds take over if you don't do something about it, right? Weed or spray or put down some kind of paper to, you know, kill the weeds. I mean, it's just crazy how fast they overgrow a garden. It, it requires work. And so you begin to notice then other people's gardens, Right? Or, or, or they're landscaping in their front yard. Right? You drive by their house and it looks all clean and ornate. And you're, you're like, wow, well, I know that didn't just happen. Somebody had to have worked at that. Because to keep a garden fertile and clean and, and, uh, and thriving, it takes a lot of labor. Pulling weeds, and you're not planting seeds through the whole process unless you're really good and actually time your garden like some people do. Never even attempted that. But the same is true in marriage, that it requires work. And there's really no reason we should expect it on its own to just kind of thrive, right? But like a garden, it's going to take the labor. And uh, in the opening part of the, the chapter, he does a really good job of uh, just mentioning some of the labor of a garden, uh, the things that are mundane, clearing, clearing the land, uh, digging holes for the seeds, Regular watering, regular weeding, pruning wilted flowers, removing dead leaves. I mean, there's just regular work that goes into a good garden. So too with marriage. And I think oftentimes we think that our marriages will just, you know, if we get a couple pieces in place, they'll just do fine. Just kind of let them grow and, and they'll be all right. But the reverse is true. Uh, weeds grow. 
and the good things kind of get the life sucked out of them. And it takes a lot of labor for a marriage to thrive. So that's sort of the premise of tonight's lesson, uh, pulling weeds and planting seeds. So as we get into the first half of this, pulling weeds, he spends a lot of chapter 7 talking about different weeds, common weeds that need to be pulled in a marriage. And so uh, beginning, I think, on page uh, 115, he has an extended uh, illustration that we'll look at together at the end. Uh, but starting on page 115, he begins listing off the different weeds that we need to pull. And the first one that he mentions is selfishness. Big surprise, selfishness. We've talked about this one in the class already because selfishness is one of those um, traits that you could kind of argue, sort of like pride is just at the root of so much sin. A lot of it leads back to selfishness. And uh, this is kind of, kind of the, the illustration that he draws in the chapter. In fact, he gives this, this quote. I'll try not to read too many quotes tonight, but this one was helpful. This is from page 115 to 116. Uh, helping us to see our selfishness. Maybe it's a leap for the best cookie, a quick movement towards the best seat in the TV room, uh, controlling the flow of conversation with friends. Perhaps it's pouting so you get to go to the restaurant you want, or arguing too hard to make sure you win, or doing something nice but making sure the other notices. Maybe it's being too busy to be bothered, not volunteering to help, taking offense too easily. Perhaps it's wanting the one who hurts you to hurt as well. Presenting yourself as more spiritual than your spouse or taking your good old time when you know the other is waiting. Maybe it's refusing to forget when you say you have forgiven. Manipulating a bit to get your own way or being less than candid because you just don't want to have the conversation. Perhaps it's being so busy taking care of yourself that you have little time to care for the other. Wanting him or her... Uh, wanting from him or her what you are unwilling to give in return or making more demands than concessions. So there's plenty of ways that we can be selfish in a marriage. But he then states this on page 117, the cross was specifically designed to free us from slavery to ourselves. Remember, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 15 uh, last week. Uh, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. That's our state of being before the cross. But instead for him who died for them and rose again. So that's the big change that happens through the gospel. We stop living for ourselves and we start living for Christ. So I remember, you know, like in premarital counseling, learning about selfishness, right? You know, and I remember our premarital counselor trying to prepare us for uh, the fact that we would be selfish. And I remember thinking you know, to myself somewhat, somewhat proudly, was like, yeah, I, I've got a pretty good grasp of my selfishness. You know? uh, I, I think I've got it under control. And uh, once we get into marriage, yeah, I'll keep an eye on it, you know, but I don't expect it to be too big of a problem. right? Uh, and then you get into marriage, and God kind of just you know, proves you wrong over and over and over again. And uh, I've been told having kids even adds to that, revealing your selfishness. So God wanted to let me remain a little bit selfish, apparently. Uh, but uh, anyway, so, you know, then you get married and you get into things. 
And then I just remember time and time again thinking like, okay, man, I'm really giving a lot here to this marriage. Is this, this is probably enough, right? I mean, this is like the level of selflessness that I can stay at. I don't really need to go be more selfless than this, you know, like I'm, I'm sacrificing here, you know, and there's usually some issue at stake that I didn't want to give up or that I didn't want to, and God used uh, the verses in Ephesians chapter five about marriage, uh, which are really gospel-centered verses as well, to keep calling me to the level of selflessness that Christ wants me as a husband to display. And uh, it was just in that plain command, husbands, love your wives. And well, if there's any question, it's like, okay, but what level of love are we talking about? You know, like I've sacrificed this for her, so I, that's probably enough. And I can just say, okay, we're good. I've reached my quota of love for you this week. No more sacrificing on my part. Let's think about me. But then you go on in the verse, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. (sighs) Okay, so what that means is that like there's no cap, there's no cap on the amount of love, the sacrifice that I give to her until I'm gone, until I'm dead, right? So I love all the way to the point that I lay down my life then I can say, okay, that's it, (laughs) I've reached enough. But of course, then I've laid down my life. So that's the whole point, isn't it? There's no limit, there's no cap, there's no amount that we stop serving the other person and say, okay, I've done enough for you, it's time to think about me. Because the example Christ sets is, we were his enemies and he laid down his life for us. He took it, took it upon himself and he sacrificed. So, So that's the great effort of marriage is to grow and grow and grow in selflessness after uh, the image of our Savior and to kill our selfishness, to keep plucking that out. All right. Sorry, I planted on that one a little. Ooh, planted. Planted on that one a little long. but uh, it's, it's a big one, and it'll come up again in our, in our lesson. And as you know, it comes up in life all the time because we are selfish people. The next one, I thought this one was interesting, busyness. Busyness. It says, a lot of our marriage struggle just because of busyness. And he asks, oh, uh, I have in your notes some, some thought questions. So with number one, I forgot to read those. The weeds of selfishness are always there. Have you found... I think that should be an and, found and pulled any selfish weeds in the past week. So we know selfishness is an issue. Am I seeking it out? Am I finding it? You know, like you might search for a weed in the garden. Got to get rid of these weeds. Where is that? Oh, there's one hiding behind the plant. Pull it. Am I searching out my selfishness so I can pull that weed and get rid of it? Okay, back to busyness. Here are the, the thought questions here. What keeps you too busy or too exhausted to address the struggles of your marriage and to do the good things that make your marriage grow? We know marriage is a priority for God, for us, from from God for us, right? And yet we let just the, the, the less important stuff of life keep us so busy that we're not working at our marriages. I mean, that's what kept me from my garden, right? To go back to the garden metaphor, you just get busy, right? And eh, I don't have time to look at the garden. It'll be fine. I'll check on it tomorrow sometime, right? And pretty soon it's overgrown with weeds. He says this on page 117. Marriage too often is what we try to do in between all the other things we're doing. 
that really determine the content and pace of our schedules. But marriage doesn't function very well as an in-between thing. And marriages surely don't tend to thrive when we leave them alone and ask them to grow on their own. So then he asks two questions. Why? Well, one question with two answers. Why are we busy? One answer he gives is materialism. There's a, there's a phrase, maybe you've heard it before, that in the end, we do what we want. And so his point here is that because we want so much, because we want more and more stuff, more and more things, we fill our lives with work. We keep ourselves busy because we want, we want, we want. And our desires don't align with God's desires. And so we kind of think, well, our marriage will take care of itself, so I want these things, so I'll fill my life with that. Materialism. Another one is legalism. This one is a little bit sneaky and easy for Christians. We develop this sense that unless, unless we're busy for God, we can't really be pleasing Him. And so there's a sense we just fill our schedules thinking that that's what it takes to actually live a God-honoring life, which is never described anywhere in Scripture. That's just not the case. That's, that's forgetting that we have Christ's righteousness and that I don't have to you know, fill my schedule to an insane pace in order to please God. In fact, God wants me to rest as a part of pleasing Him. So that's actually a form of legalism. In our, in our, we, we busy ourselves trying to earn favor with God when we're actually not prioritizing what He's told us to do, like rest, like work on your marriage, right? So uh, this form of legalism is a reason that we're so busy sometimes as well. So again, the thought questions, uh, what keeps you too busy or too exhausted to address the struggles of your marriage and to do the good things that make your marriage grow? Number three, inattention, inattention. He says this on page 118, many of us are better at responding to crisis than we are at working on prevention. He draws an interesting parallel. He talks about how when we're you know, dating somebody or courting somebody, thinking about marriage, we give it all the attention in the world, right? We're, we're texting all the time. We're thinking about them. Ooh, what could I do that would be special? You know, oh, yeah, I got to remember that. They like this restaurant or they like this kind of food or they like this kind of chocolate, right? We're, we're just watching all the details because we're trying to win this person. But then once we've won the person talks about how that attention just sort of falls by the wayside and we kind of just take it for granted that we have this relationship and we stop working at it. Uh, we stop working at it. So the thought questions there, have you become comfortable with taking one another for granted? Do you feel as if you already know and understand your spouse? We, can't, we quit trying to learn we just kind of assume we know how they're going to respond or what they're going to say or what they're thinking or what they like or what they don't like. Have we stopped working on our marriages? Number four, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. <laughs> this, qu this question was uh, really convicting on page 120. Do you welcome those moments when your husband or wife approaches you with a criticism or concern about something you said or did? Are you glad that God has placed you next to someone who helps you see yourself with greater accuracy? 
Do you embrace and act on the thought that you could be a better husband or wife? And I really like that. Do you not only embrace that you could be better, but do you act on it? Most of us are willing to say, yeah, I really need to grow as a husband. I really need to make some progress. But am I actually intentionally doing anything in my life about that? Or am I just freely willing to admit that, but not work at it, right? That was a convicting question for me. Uh, Have you ever invited your spouse to confront you in places where he or she thinks it is needed? When you feel a twinge of guilt, do you work to relieve your guilt by self-atoning arguments for the rightness of what you said or did? Instead, we run to the atoning work of Christ on the cross, and based on His righteousness, we can actually be thoughtful and humble about our sins and shortcomings. Number five, fear. Fear. This is a, a weed that's common in relationships. It can be fear of failure. We don't want to fail, and so we actually get frozen. We, don't, we won't do anything. We won't work at anything. We won't say what needs to be said because we're afraid of messing it up, worried about what they'll think, constantly running through the what-ifs. What could happen? What might they do? What will happen here? And so we don't actually work at marriage because we're f- afraid of it failing. Another one is fear of man, where we put our spouse on too high of a pedestal. So technically this should be fear of man or woman, right? Uh, but we are just oversensitive to what they think and what their opinion is and, and um, how they feel about things, where their emotions are at. We attach our sense of well-being, our sense of security to our spouse instead of to God. They become what he calls in the book our personal Messiah. We look to them to help us, to save us, to rescue us, to meet our needs, to satisfy our desires. And so we become, we're actually over-respecting the other person. Number six, laziness. Laziness. This is sort of like inattention, but this one's not just ignoring it. This one we actually know what we should do, but we choose just to be lazy. We choose not to do it. Um, We know we should have a conversation. We know we should address a wrong between us. We know we need to work on our anger, but it's going to take time. Uh, It's just too much going on. I don't know if I can handle that right now. You know, we'll get to that later. We'll have this conversation another time. And so we put things off. We excuse it. And he talks about how this is also rooted in self-love, right? Laziness is a choice to just give in to what I want to do, what feels good, as opposed to what is actually good or what needs to be done. This quote's encouraging from page 124. You don't have to be afraid of examining your marriage, no matter how weedy it may be, because God meets you in your difficulty with His amazing grace. He blesses you with the grace of wisdom, patience, strength, and forgiveness. He is with you, He is willing, and He's ready to come to your aid. In fact, in His grace, He has made you the place where He lives. So we talk about this gardening illustration, 
And it's really encouraging, actually, when we continue that metaphor and remember that God has made me his dwelling place. If you've trusted in Christ as Savior, he's cleansed you of your sin, and his spirit has taken up residence in you. And there's a sense in which your heart, your marriage, is his garden. And he's ready to help you pull weeds and, as we'll see in this next chapter, plant seeds. In fact, often... The, the things that come up in our day are, are not just meant to make the life interesting. They're actually meant to help us pull weeds and plant seeds, to respond the right way to these things. So as we enter into chapter 8, he takes us to Galatians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can open it. Everybody get all the blanks from this slide before I move on? Okay. Uh, you can open to Galatians chapter 5. These will be familiar verses, but they're helpful to us as we think about now planting seeds. Galatians 5. Now we often begin in verse 16, which is a fine place to start, but he actually starts us back in verse 13. And he points out how this section is very much about relationships. Notice verse 13 of Galatians 5. For you, brethren have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So you see both the positives and the negatives of relationship there. He calls us to love and he says, look, though you've been freed from serving yourself, you've been freed from the law, use that freedom to serve, excuse me, to serve one another in love. So this is about killing our selfishness and showing love to one another. So number one from Galatians 5, we say no to selfishness. And this is pulling weeds. He's kind of reviewing here at the beginning of chapter 8. This is very much this idea of pulling weeds. It's saying no to our selfishness. And you see that in verse 13. You see it again in verse 16. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the desires of my sin nature, selfishness. Now he makes an interesting point that selfishness often manifests itself as manipulation. Manipulation. And so you see that... um, in your, in your notes there, you've got three ways that this can come up. First, we use threats to try to manipulate. The quote that he uses in the book is, I don't know what I'm going to do if I have to live with this living room any longer. So you can imagine maybe a, a wife or mom upset by how messy the living room is. I don't know what I'm going to do. Right? Well, kind of hidden in those words is a threat, right? There's going to be some kind of explosion or there's going to be some kind of consequences or whatever, so you better shape up, right? It's a form of manipulation. Another one is payment. A husband says to his wife, I provide for you and this is the thanks that I get, right? So it's that idea of exchange. I've done this for you. You should be doing something for me. That's a reciprocal form of love, which is not Jesus' love at all. Jesus' love is one directional. No matter how we respond, he keeps loving us. Or number three, guilt. A wife says to her husband, I remember when I was a happy woman. It was before I got married. (laughs) Zing, ouch. 
guilting her husband into apparently ruining her life, as she's stating it here. These are all forms of manipulation and selfishness. So then, number two, on the positive, we say, we say no to selfishness. Number two, we serve one another in love. We serve one another in love. And again, back in verses 13 and 14, he makes this clear. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for all the law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we serve one another in love. In this case, manipulation gets replaced with ministry. Rather than seeking to change their actions to get what I want, that's manipulation, I'm all about ministering to them. How can I serve? How can I give? God has met my needs in Christ. I'm good. So I'm here in this relationship to love and to serve and to give. Okay? So that just kind of turns that whole thing around. Christ has freed me from myself so I can serve others. This involves confessing our need for help when, when we come across those times that we have been selfish and not as loving as we should. We go to the Lord and we confess that, right? This is pulling weeds is like putting into practice what we worked on the last two weeks, confessing and forgiving, right? When something comes up, it's a weed in my marriage that I need to pull. The way we deal with that is we confess, Right? I go to the Lord and I ask for His forgiveness. And if I've you know, hurt my spouse by my sin as well, then I go to her and I seek her forgiveness. And then finally, produce the fruit of the Spirit. Which again, this is something God's Spirit works in us, but that step of confessing what I don't want and then asking for His help is sort of how God produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So, you are going through your week, and uh, let's say, you know, you've got a lot of things on your plate, it's a busy schedule, and uh, you've had dinner, dinner's finishing up, and you've got a few more things you want to get to that evening before uh, bedtime comes around, and so you're ready to get up from the table and start getting to some other things, and your spouse starts sharing something that happened that day that's, you know, weighing on his or her heart. And you're kind of sitting there, you know, tapping your foot and the adrenaline's kind of rising because you're, you know, you're looking at the clock. You're like, how long is this going to take? I got things to get to. Are we really talking about this right now? You know, I mean, this is a busy week. Just, just handle it. You'll be okay, you know, we want to say. And so they begin sharing. They begin talking. And uh, then, you know, they sense your impatience. They sound like, hey, are, are you okay? Are you in a hurry? I mean, do you mind if I share this with you? Ooh, right? Cuts to the heart. God helps you see, okay, I'm being impatient, I'm being selfish. That's where the actual work of weed pulling comes. It's not just where that I sit there and I say, okay, okay, I'm ready to listen, you talk to me. But that I actually go to the Lord and say, Lord, that was sinful selfishness. My impatience, my unwillingness to listen to her right now is wrong. That is not what Jesus is like at all. I don't want that anymore. I don't want to be an impatient, selfish person anymore. Make me more like Jesus. Help me to lovingly sacrifice. Now, again, you can do all that in your head, right, as you're turning attention to your spouse. Or maybe you wait and listen and then have that conversation with the Lord after uh, he or she is done sharing. But that conversation needs to happen. 
Because that's part of actually getting rid of the weed and planting a seed is that confession that gets right with God vertically and asks for His help. Lord, I want the Spirit to be seen in my life. I want Christ-like love to win over my selfish impatience. And because God dwells in me and is delighted to garden my heart, <laughs> He answers those prayers. And that's how we change. And so often we just skip right by that. It's like, oh, sorry, sorry, I, was just, I, wasn't, I wasn't listening very well. You go ahead. And then, and then it's done. But I have not taken care of it with the Lord. I haven't pulled the weed and planted something else in its place. That's a crucial part of this process of saying no to the flesh and saying yes to God's Spirit. Um, as we, if we really want to change dealing with those things, actually pulling the weed out and planting something in its place. So he spends a few pages of the chapter looking at these fruit of the Spirit. And so you have them in your notes briefly there. We're not going to spend a lot of time on each one of them. In fact, we'll just look at those summary statements. Love, he mentions first. Search for concrete ways to work and sacrifice for the good of the other. Keep doing what is good and best for them. Joy. Look for reasons to be thankful and appreciative. Notice the good in your spouse. Peace. Labor to resolve tension. Reconcile wrongs and build unity. Kindness. Seek to do what is good for the other. Very related to love, but acting upon those options of ways to do what is good for the other. Faithfulness. Remaining steadfast to your commitments. And I, with faithfulness, there's always a look to the watchful gaze of the Lord. It's not just what my spouse knows, but that God knows and is with me, dwells in me, is watching at all times. I want to be faithful to what, I, what he expects of me and what he's, how I've told him I will function in this marriage relationship. Gentleness. Use your strength to take care of the other. It's gentleness. And self-control. Restrain your natural urges and reactions and yield to God's Spirit. <coughs> So now obviously as you get into Galatians 5, 19 through 23, you have those two lists, what the flesh looks like, what my selfishness looks like. Uh, we're familiar with that. <laughs> All sorts of evidences of selfishness. And then what God's Spirit looks like, and that's where we have that list. And so he comes to verses 24 and 25. Those who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So that's that pulling weeds and planting seeds. Because Christ has changed us through the gospel. I'm, my old way of living is dead. I don't have to live for myself anymore. I now am alive by God's Spirit, so then I should walk by God's Spirit. And so that's number three tonight. Walk in the Spirit. And he summarizes uh, the whole idea of this chapter of planting seeds on pages uh, 140 through the end of the chapter. 
Walking in the Spirit begins by admitting that we need help. We're so quick to defend ourselves. Um, our inner lawyer comes up. We, we, don't like to, we don't like to admit that we need help, but this is where it begins. Letter B, we commit to battling the flesh. The big battles in marriage, he says on page 141, are not the ones you fight with your spouse. The big battles in marriage are the ones being fought in your heart. And so being committed to fighting against the powerful draw of our self-focus. Finally, rely on God's Spirit in you. He says this on page 142, You are not alone. To help your marriage, He didn't just give us a set of principles. No, He gave us Himself. He gave us Himself. So you have all the strength you need, all the power you need to be pleasing to the Lord. If you're God's children, your marriage isn't just a union of two. It's more accurately a union of three. Think about this, the same spirit that now lives inside of you, wife, also lives inside your husband. His presence provides the, blessed, the best platform for marital unity and love that you could ever wish for. He brings you the wisdom and strength you need to be what you are supposed to be and to do what you are called to do in your marriage. And his sweetest gift in an agenda of grace is that he daily rescues you from you, which is just what you need but are unable to do for yourself. So there's a quick summary of chapters 7 and 8, pulling weeds and planting seeds. Now in the last 15 minutes here, uh, you've got those discussion questions on the back of page 4. And so uh, find a little group nearby. You'll read the story. Uh, I think the page numbers are there in your notes. It's about Sam and Sarah. And uh, as a group, you'll give them some counseling. So work through those questions. And uh, once it gets to 8.15... Uh, you're dismissed, or if you finish before then, you're dismissed as well. Um, but yeah, that's how we'll uh, close class tonight is just in those discussion groups. So go ahead and have some fun with it. Thanks.